Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. said sometimes with the British film industry it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning let's find out welcome to another Britflix.com podcast my name is Stuart Wright and today's guest is Clive Frayne hello Clive hey Stuart how you doing man I'm doing very well doing very well indeed now we've come to talk to you well We've come to talk, we mainly came to talk to you about a book you've written, but there's two things going on. So we'll cover those first in introductions. So first off, let's tell people what the book is. Okay, the book is called uh, The Process, although its full title is The Process of Screenwriting. Um, and uh, yeah, that's uh, available as a paperback and for Kindle via Amazon. But do you want to give people what yeah. you would call a brief synopsis to what it is? Yeah, I mean, basically, it's about um, a way of approaching screenwriting, which is slightly different from the way in which most people think about it. So rather than thinking about just structure, it, I actually wanted to write something about the actual process. So what are the different steps that you have to go through to sort out your idea and to develop your characters and to research your fictional world and to then structure your story before you actually get to the writing? Um, so it's really about um, different ways for each of those steps of approaching that, depending on whether you're the kind of person who likes to plan things or whether you like to sort stuff out on the page. So it's really about finding your own process rather than me going, do this, do that, do the other. Brilliant. brilliant. That's it. And you're also embarking on, a, I think, what I think it's like the first phase of a kind of development program with other writers. Do you want to tell us what that is and what's that involving and deadlines and stuff? Yeah, I've just launched um, a, a project development scheme um, whereby I am going to take on four writers every year. And um, basically, I'm going to help them um, refine their concepts and develop and write scripts specifically for independent cinema. 
and specifically for um, scripts in the micro budget to £250,000 range. Mm. Um, and basically, I'm doing that in two goes. So I'm going to do about six months with each pair of writers. And the deadline for the first one is um, the 20th of February, but all the details are on my website. So let's let's talk about the book first then, Process of Screenwriting. And it's sort of, obviously, that's a, that's a claim, but it's not the process, it's your process, isn't it? You're, you're a screenwriter first. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I've been saying for about 15 years that I would never write a book on screenwriting. And that's because um, I absolutely loathe them. I mean, I, I really struggle with, um, with books on screenwriting for loads of reasons, um, but at the same time... I've always written either blogs that I've done myself or columns about screenwriting. I've always been obsessed with the craft of screenwriting and particularly for independent cinema. So, you know, I've always written about it, but I've always said, no, I'm not going to write a book because people just write books as, you know, as ways of kind of pulling money out of screenwriters pockets and I thought a lot of the stuff that I was that I read when I did pick them up was what I would call dubious yeah mm -hmm. um so and the my big bugbears were a people only ever seem to write about structure so they would kind of go here's how this structure is different from all the other structures and this structure is better than this structure it's like i'm going to sell this brand of structure so i, I had a problem with that because i know that screenwriting is way more than structure structure is just an element and the other problem that i had is it really bugged me that a lot of the books that I read, you would, someone would go, uh, what I've done is I've re reverse engineered 20 of the greatest pictures ever written. So this is, the re this is how Jaws works, or this is how Die Hard works, or this is how Casablanca works. But the people who were writing those books never, ever give examples of how they use their own techniques to create their own pages. Can I can I try because the one thing that always makes me spring to mind because I do I do reverse engineering yeah. for myself but it's obviously for my yeah own, yeah well for, that's okay for, for yourself because yeah. the the thing that always strikes me when I read those things in books is is the question where were you when the page was blank because... exactly <laughs> and and not only that it's like even if you kind of go okay well this is how you know let's just use I mean I use Jaws as an example in my book in the early chapters mm. but. But then, okay, if you kind of go, well, this is the principle, then show me how you use it to create your own ideas and your own pages so I can see that it can be applied outside of the, of, of, of the ideas that you've come up with. So when I decided to write the book, I decided to do a couple of things. A, I, everything was going to be um, drawn from my experience of, um, of writing. Right. I was basically all the mistakes I ever made, everything that I learned the hard way, I was kind of going like to break it down in a way that was explainable. And the other thing is, is that if I said, look, here's an idea, try this, I would then absolutely demonstrate it in real time. So when I, I, I do a thing on uh, generating ideas, I say, 
okay, well, what we're going to do is we're going to come up with like 10 of the worst possible ideas for movies because that's fun and it's easier with com- than coming up with good ideas. Mm. I then generate a list of the first ten, but 10 ideas that came to me. And I then demonstrate how I go from those bad ideas and then like how I work them into better usable ideas and how I come up with something at the end that's actually usable. And I do that all the way through the book, basically. Anything I, I go, well, this is how I do that. I then demonstrate it and demos- and, I, and all the work was done at the time. So there, um, the final chapter is really about how you actually get ideas on the page. All of the examples in that are first draft scenes that I wrote as I was writing the book. You know, I didn't kind of like take something that I'd been pouring over for five years. I literally goes, this is what my first drafts look like. And I wanted to offer people something that was honest um, and also that drove dove a bit deeper into the issues about screenwriting, which are literally more to do with drama um, and how we generate drama and and how film concepts work than they are about structure, which is only one small element of story. I completely so, concur. It's the, yeah, the yeah. there's 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 a lot of evidence in 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 the books that i've read in the past where it's there's an obsession with the whole 90 pages so therefore they like you say oh, that becomes the obsession becomes about 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 structure and getting from point a to point b c d e and then you know to to the yeah. end and then like that's done a script what, what i never yeah. see and what I've, you know what you you can only learn i guess through trial and error is is the notion of what makes a scene dramatic and what makes a dramatic scene yeah. work alongside the previous and the next dramatic scene because yeah which they're... is reason sorry Stuart, you... i was just going to say because that's that's that that's the notion of film isn't it that transition between one yeah. moment to the next it's not a linear line so that's actually one of the earliest chapters in the book is literally about well what is drama mm. What does what does that actually mean? How do we create drama? And and although kind of people kind of go, oh, drama's conflict. Well, okay, yeah, that's one aspect of it. But what do they mean by conflict? And loads of people get that wrong, which is the reason you get so many like um, scripts where people are just going, you're a slag. No, you're a slag. You know, because they think like, well, or like bang, 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 bang. You know, just kind of people think that like conflict is fighting, and it. It isn't. That's in fact, that's actually the least interesting expression of uh, of conflict. But you, it's almost you very rarely find a book where people talk about the importance of driving your characters towards vulnerability. Mm. How you make your characters vulnerable, and that's how drama comes out. Because essentially, your job is to expose their vulnerabilities in some way, whether that's a kind of physical or a mental or an emotional vulnerability, all of those kind of things. So, I mean, I really wanted to talk about like stuff like that, um, which is what I do really. And I also wanted to do it in a way that was really accessible, which didn't kind of preach one way of doing it. That that you know, kind of ex- understood that different writers come at things in different ways. And then there's just a couple of things, a couple of the methods that I use, which I know are really valuable. There's a thing that I use called the spreadsheet method where my character development and my structure all go onto one Excel spreadsheet. 
Um, and I do my character arcs. I do arcs for each character rather than one single beat shoot, just stuff like that. And I just want to show those because I don't know of many other people who do it that way. And I know how useful that can be. And for... that, that, that part of the process for you is something you're yeah. doing before you've written Fade In. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I was going to say that's I an important don't... part of your process, isn't it? That, that it's yeah, about almost me... like holding off. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't write a first draft. Well, okay, like my 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 actual process is different for every script, mm -hmm. but the, the similarities are the first thing that happens is um, I generate a rough idea, and it will be really really rough. Um, and then what I probably will do then is I'll kind of um, play around with that idea. So what I'll do is I'll run it through loads and loads of different iterations. So I'll change it into something else and change it into something else and changing it to something else. And I do that by changing my protagonist, by changing the period that it's set in, by um, changing the location that it's set in. And I keep on playing with it until I find the kind of, for me, the perfect version of the concept. Um, then I, the big thing for me is always theme. You know, what is this film really about? You know, is it, and, and I tend to always express that in terms of um, the emotional and personal cost of, you know, so it could be the emotional and personal cost of jealousy. Uh, and then, uh, or, you know, the, the emotional, personal cost of ambition, something like that. Mm. And then that becomes a thing that rides the rest of the concept through. And then I do massive amounts of research, but it's it's not kind of like, academic research it's really just chasing my fascination and i collect loads of visual images and um and i build kind of boards of locations and things and i read loads of stuff um and i build my fictional world and then i do my character development which again i do on these spreadsheets and i've got 12 different kind of things that I look at or write backstories um and throughout all of this i'll be doing things like writing like pages of prose to um, like short stories about the characters or uh, seed scenes um, to explore the characters. Um, and then finally, when it's all hung together, when I know how the characters all tick, how they function together as kind of like a machine, as yeah. a drama engine, and I know the arc for each of the characters from start to finish, um, I'll open it up and I'll kind of bang out five pages a day until it's done unless it needs to be done faster than that and then I'll write more pages a day but I don't actually start writing until I know the whole thing inside out it sounds to um, me because I've obviously I've, I've, I've read I've not read all your book but I've, read, I've certainly read some of it and yeah, yeah, we've, okay. we've talked a lot on Twitter about yeah, in, yeah. with relation to uh, your, your process but hearing you hearing you sort of flesh it out yourself in in sort of like it, it it almost feels like it, and, and, and forgive the metaphor if it sounds clumsy, but like you're keeping a football in the air, and like as long as you can keep the football in the air, then clearly it's exciting, and yeah, and as as the and there comes a point where you're like going, I don't have to keep up in the air anymore because look, we've got I've got to a hundred or I've got to a thousand, whatever it was I was yeah. meant to get to, and that's almost like the 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 the, but I guess I guess while you're when you you must hit highs and lows in terms of that that time when before you hit the screen the final draft or fading or whatever where you're no, going why is no, this exciting no, it's, no it's, it's literally all highs okay and and the reason the reason for that is is it's a bit like okay um it's a bit like 
rather than rather than kind of think of it as like creating a film mm. quite often it feels more like archaeology like it's sitting there waiting to be discovered when you just like clear away all of the stuff it kind of forms in front of you it's amazing and i think i mean a lot of this i mean a lot of the reason i do it this way is because i'm really lazy does right. it sound so, like? Doesn't no, that sound lazy? Come on, convince, well, yeah, convince me, like convince me, Clive. Okay, right. So, <laughs> so the traditional way of like of of writing uh, a screenplay. I mean, that I did for years before I figured all of this out, and I did. I mean, I had a good bang at doing it this way. Is you get an idea, and then you write, I guess, like a vomit draft. And in that vomit draft, what you're trying to do is you're trying to create a fictional world, figure out what the theme is, um, work out who the characters are on the page as you're writing them. So the first half of it is always going to be rough as because you don't really know who the characters are until you get to the final pages. Um, and then all of the other kind of elements of kind of the thing. In fact, you might not even have a clear idea about what the film is about until you've finished the draft. And then you've got this thing, this like, like this kind of this kind of like lump of concrete which is your first draft and then what happens is is that that people try to pull that apart and then put it back together in better forms of what it is whilst trying to solve all of the problems that they created whilst they were writing and and this becomes really acute when a producer or a director gets involved so you've got a concept that, you, that you've worked on, you, you've worked through quite a lot of the problems and you get to the point where you can put it in front of a producer and they go, yeah, yeah, I quite like this and I quite like parts of this idea, but you know, what I really need is it for to, to be this. So they need to turn it into a different kind of a product, right? Which means you're then kind of, it's a bit like sort of building Ikea, like you build a Billy bookcase from Ikea, mm. take it apart, and then try to reassemble it as a sideboard. <laughs> and what happens is, is that because you're so attached to how good the bookcase was, it becomes increasingly difficult to let go of things or even to actually see all of the moving parts. And I got, to, I, I hate doing rewrites. So where a lot of the writers that I've been, that I work with expect to do seven or eight drafts to get to the point where something is ready. I'm really annoyed if it goes to three drafts. I mean, by the third draft, I really want to be fixing little bits of dialogue. I certainly don't want to be shifting like major kind of structural um, elements around. So, so, so I'm, I'm going to say, how do you insulate yourself then in terms of the other collaborators? Because there's one thing to... To, to to make the archaeological dig on your on what is your idea and write the screenplay but then mm -hmm. then there is the introduction of other collaborators who no matter what prep you've done and no matter how um how tight it is as a finished screenplay they still might want a sideboard compared to oh yeah that, that and that's the reason these days right um, I mean I only really work on two kind of pro two kinds of projects now mm. ones where I already know who the producer and director are going to be. And basically all they get in the beginning is, is a one sheet idea. And we agree that that's the idea or we mess around with the idea until we're happy with the idea. Mm. And then we do all the rest of the work together and we agree it and sign it off at each stage. Um, which means, and I'm, 
I mean, I've just, I'm, I'm just about to do a rewrite on a biopic. Mm. I'll do, well, the other kind of projects that I get are where um, I get called in because some other, because a writer has really kind of um, failed to deliver on something, and there's an independent producer sitting there with money who kind of desperately needs to get this thing finished, and they'll bring me in to kind of like fix it. Basically, I do a lot of that, a lot of fixing other people's projects. Mm. Um, and I had to find a way of dealing with that as well, stepping into the middle of something and working out what the producers and the wanted from it and then actually finding a way to deliver it really quickly. Because mm. quite often there's not a lot of money on the table, so you don't want to be doing more than two drafts. Of course not. You know, you know what I mean? So it's about it was about efficiency more than one of them. How did you find how did you find I mean, because there's one thing you having developed a process and a process that's adaptable yeah. to the different challenges of different film projects. And you said to yourself, it's not yeah. always the same. Um, you mm -hmm. kind of adapt it to how did you find the challenge of translating what can't always, what isn't always the same into a kind of overart, you know, something that was, that has its own internal logic and narrative for people to read in a book, you know, because as, 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 obviously getting your you brain on the page is different. Okay. Right. So, I mean, I mean, I knew what the core of it, I knew that the, the big part was going to be about character development mm. because for the last kind of like four or five years, I mean, I've, I've made a reasonable living by teaching character development. I do as a visiting lecturer. Mm -hmm. So I would tell this is my specialist area, you know, how character development links to story and structure. So I'd been teaching kind of like the spreadsheet method to students for ages and also showing them kind of how it all kind of, how that all kind of fits together. So I, ha I knew I had that as a core. Um, and it was then just a case of going, well, what are the other bits and what do I do? And what are, what are other ways that people do this? Mm. Um, and it, it was, to be perfectly honest, because I'd been thinking about this probably for about 20 years, not consciously thinking about it for 20 years, but there's like 20 years kind of worth of work you know development on myself as a writer that's gone into it mm. i kind of sat down wrote a whole load of chapter headings started on page one and finished on you know when i got to a hundred thousand words and when i got to a hundred thousand words i thought i really need to stop writing <laughs> and then i cut I, I literally i ditched 50 i, I ditched um two chapters just went no that's got to go that's a that's a whole other kind of discussion and i'll leave that and i brought it down to about eighty-five thousand words and i thought oh is that is that what that so it was really considering that i was writing about like structured planning um it was the most it like most of it was literally right what do i believe about drama okay right i'll sit down i'll carry on writing I mean, okay, there was a lot of rewriting involved in that. Well, not as much as you'd think. I mean, it got mm. to about two or three passes. Each chapter got two or three passes. Can, can I, um, given, given that the, the the where we've 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 made put such a stress on on drama and creating drama, what, yeah, going 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 back over your time as a writer, what do you remember being the penny that dropped for you when you began? What, what was it you saw or what was it you did in writing that that sort of got the penny to drop for you as to what? What is the essence of, of, of drama within a screenplay? Right. Um, that's kind of tricky one to talk about. I mean, part of it is um, I ran about you 
2000, I wrote, directed, and um, a part financed uh, a feature film. Mm-hmm. Um, and when me and the guy that I was working with at the time, I remember a meeting that was in with him where um, we'd finished the film. We'd actually put about three years of our lives into this film. Right. Um, and we were sitting down. And I realized that we were going to be writing the log line and deciding what genre it was. And I thought maybe we'd done that in the wrong order. <laughs> and, I, and I remember thinking, oh, I've put three years of my life and quite a lot of money into this thing. And really, we should have sorted this out before we started writing. Because actually, it was like much more difficult to kind of like figure all of that stuff out once you've actually, you know, put three years of your life into something. Mm. Um, and that kind of that all all went sort of you know pear shaped in quite interesting ways that I can't talk about. But the the end result of that is at the end of it, I kind of like stepped away and thought, you know, I I need to kind of figure this out because prior to going in um, coming into independent film, I've been a really successful radio copywriter and I'd made a good living and I'd won loads of loads of awards and run writing teams right so i'd come into film overly confident um and i took such a spanking early on that it it kind of like really knocked um my confidence for quite a long time and actually i sort of set off in this this kind of quest to figure out what it was all about and one of the things that i did to figure that out was actually like did a four year spell where I was actually teaching drama, um, which, you know, I ended up like directing some theatre, did a lot of working with actors. And I kind of realized that I quite like working with actors and working with actors, I think, is a really good foundation mm. for kind of understanding what works and what doesn't. Plus all of my experience of working with voiceover actors in radio before I came into film. So it was a kind of it was like getting it so badly wrong and then kind of stepping back and trying to figure out where I went wrong. And I was lucky. I kind of, A, I got to do lots of things that fed into the learning process. And the other thing is, is I met maybe about four or five other writers internationally who were either a bit further on or at the same level. And we were all had the same kind of approach, which was trying to figure stuff out. I think, but you know, do you not on... think that's the, the the sort of? I always feel like that's the never ending, the never ending oh, goal yeah, of a writer is to figure it out. Because you, if if, yeah, if you it, figure it out, then hasn't the world ended? <laughs> oh no, I mean it's endless. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I mean. So this week, right? I've been reading other writers' pitches for this program that I'm running. Mm-hmm. Now, at the same time, I've been writing one sheets for two projects that uh i kind of like that i've already got directors interested in them but i'm just kind of like formalizing what we're actually talking about um so i'm reading other people's pitches and creating my own and i think that i'm probably i'm probably learning more from the pitches that are coming in than the those writers are getting from pitching to me do you know what i mean which is Mm. the reason i'm part of the reason i'm running the development program because I, i kind of like sit back and go oh, I don't like that. Why don't I like that? When, you know, someone will send a pitch in. 
And I go, well, you know, it doesn't make, if, if I saw that on Netflix, you know, I would just kind of like skip over it. It wouldn't, that concept wouldn't draw me in. You know, I wouldn't want to watch it. Well, you know, and it's kind of that kind of curiosity about things um, and also becoming more sort of honest as, as I get older about A, about what I like and B, about, you know, my own limitations as a human being, you know, where my ego gets in the way, for instance. Mm. Um, you know, that's been a, an interesting, I mean, I wrote a piece this week about, um, you know, that kind of resistance that people have to note. And, and there's this kind of idea that kicks around that the, the, the professional response are people who take notes like a pro. Mm. And I've always, been, I've always been suspicious of that as an argument because it's kind of like, A, because it's kind of shaming because it implies that people who struggle with that, there's something wrong with them. And also, I don't think it's psychologically true. Um, my take on on that is that um, if you have to visualize a world in order to create it, and visualization is a huge part of writing cinema, that it becomes so that it, the, the characters and the situations are almost like real life. You've run them so many times. Um, if somebody says, well, that visualization needs to change, if you try to change it immediately, it's like running into a brick wall. It's trying to alter reality, you know, going, well, you know, actually giraffes are really small. <laughs> so you actually have to kind of like take a step back and wait for your subconscious to kind of go, actually, you know, we might be able to make this better. But that takes about 24, 48 hours. It's different for different people. So, you know, you get your notes. If you, anybody, regardless of how resistant they are when they hear the notes, if they step back for two, three days until, you know, they can actually think clearly about it, we'll actually be able to go in and respond to kind of like notes professionally, whatever the hell that means. Clive, it's, um, it's, funny, it's yes. funny you describe it like that because I know that I'm fully aware of it and yet I still, I still freeze up in the, in yeah, of the, course. In the face does. of them and then spend three days going of course. Mm, that, that. and then by the third day i'm like i can see the point now or but that's that's exactly it i mean i <laughs> think that that initial freeze is natural yeah that that's the natural and actually that's the proper response you know um the what the difficulty is actually like shutting up and not immediately defending your visualization oh yeah, realizing yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, because that's like this, and it is, I mean, the way I describe it is it's like running into a brick wall, trying to kind of like um, um, change that visualization at that point. But you have to let your subconscious like soften the visualization down and then it becomes more like clay and then you can like reform it. And because we're creative people, mm. that then becomes exciting again. And I think there are far too many writers who are told, oh, like, well, to be a pro, you have to take your notes. And what they do is they punishing, they A, they punish themselves for feeling any resistance to the notes. And B, they then force themselves to make changes when, like, every cell in their body is screaming not to do it. And that's kind of masochistic. And I, and it, I just wish that... The dis discourse amongst writers was just better about again the process that can we I can I go deal. back can I go back to something you were yeah, saying yeah yeah you can, you totally early, can. on the podcast because it's it's something that um it's something that I always forget that I enjoy and you you, you, you I think you said something like you like to sit down and do like let's do the ten worst ideas um, yeah yeah absolutely and and, and what that made oh. me think of was that what you're basically saying what you're base the, the, the subtext to that request is 
don't give a shit, so therefore there's nothing to be scared of. And there's a great... I don't know if you've seen the book by... Um, I'm just trying to call it up now. Is Art and Fear by David Bales and Ted Orland. I don't know if you've come no, across that book. It sounds good, though. It, it's Art, a, it's, Art and Fear are two of my favourite things. So it's, a, it's written by two art lecturers. And I read mm. this when I was kind of on the... I mean, I come from journalism uh, in terms yeah, yeah. of magazine journalism to screenwriting yeah, yeah. as opposed to radio to screenwriting. And obviously you, you, you kind of, you, <laughs> I, I felt like I was looking in the mirror when you were saying, and I was so cocky about it. And then suddenly you realize it's not quite. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a, do you know that step that you go over when you discover that although you were a great writer in your chosen profession, like screenwriting is just like gone. Nah. So, so, so reading books like, um, like Fear, yeah. So reading books like Out and Fear were really, were really useful to me because I began to understand it wasn't about, it wasn't like I could sit down in a room and write. That's never been a problem. So therefore, yeah, same, the act, yeah. so the act of writing was not something I was bothered about at all. But then mm. the act of coming up with something that's interesting isn't about the act of writing. It's about trying to no. think and come up with something. And in fact, in the book, they even say, weirdly, they even say, they don't even like the word creativity. What they like is working ideas. So the big example they give, yeah. which has always stuck with me, and it's like, and I, and I often forget it, and then partway through a kind of, you know, when my brain's getting shelled by nothing, um, I remember it's just, just write a list of stuff and just look at them. And they, their, their example was they split the class into two. And they went, right, you come up with 50 ideas for shoes and you come up with the perfect shoe. Now, it's not surprising to learn that the people who are asked to come up with 50 ideas come up with some of the most interesting ideas for shoes. The people asked to make the perfect shoe were staring at the wall because there is no I there's no there's nothing that this is actually an exercise that I do with writers when I teach writers. It's one of the first things I do with them is like I, I, I say to them, look, okay, here's a blank piece of paper. You have got 60 seconds. You've got to write like an idea on it. There must be no spelling or grammatical errors. It, the sentences must be perfectly formed and constructed. <laughs> um, the uh, the idea itself must be totally original and worthy of an Oscar go and then i and then you sit down at the end of you every single person has got a blank piece of paper because you've just like that's how writer's block happens you know yeah uh, and then i say okay right now what we're going to do is um i'm, I'm we're not going to put a time limit on it just as far as long as like we're enjoying it what i want is a list of literally the 15 15 worst possible ideas the most outrageously rubbish ideas you can come up with a film brilliant great hamsters in, invade new zealand brilliant okay on to the next one uh clowns attack um a party full of uh, debutantes cool next idea um nancy nazi reptiles um uh, decide to eat a large cake do you see what i mean yeah you just kind of like on and on and on and what happens with that is a like that's way more fun than coming up with a good idea because you're playing and and, and writing and creating is a playful activity so you play and what happens is is you come up with about like seven or eight really bad ideas and then like you get onto idea nine and your subconscious like throws in a half decent one and when you go back to the list, you go, oh, actually, you know, that, if I play with that, that might actually be worth, worth looking at. Um, it's lovely, that, isn't it? I mean, that's kind of... Yeah, that's, it's, oh, yeah it's, a, it's great that you... I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting that as a, as a teacher, you've you, 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 um, you got to tell people to have fun, whereas 
I think it's maybe the way we're schooled or something. Like writing is a really boring mm. thing to do, whereas writing down hamsters invade New Zealand is far from boring. And yeah, yeah, you know. I would watch that. Film. <laughs> and, and so that, but those, but bashing those kind of ideas around your head is where the magic happens. The magic doesn't happen yeah. because you go, it's about a grandma and granddad, and um, they're they're stuck in the. Oh seven. God, yeah. <laughs> Well, look. Yeah, let... no. Um, what it, I think there's a, a a lot of the things that a I think um, there's a lot of there are a lot of things in the screenwriting community which are, I think are like quite negative for screenwriters. One of which is this kind of like this constant pressure pressuring of the idea of the craft of screenwriting, mm. as though it like it's like it's like you know like standing at a lathe in a boiler suit, like you know slowly kind of milling down kind of the metal until you end up with a spork and it's like it's not it really should, it's it's entertainment it ought to be it ought to be the most fun thing to do and actually it is the most fun thing to do providing you'll allow it to be the most fun thing to do and you don't take it or yourself either too seriously or not seriously a tactic, enough a tactic i like to employ i don't know if you, if you and this is this is where you you try and you try and bring game into the hard bit which is when you get into the screen yeah, yeah. you go i'm gonna make my director laugh I'm, i don't care it doesn't matter whether we keep it or not i'm gonna put something in that's gonna make them laugh because then as part of the experience of it and usually with that when you attempt that you kind of uh-huh. You kind of deliver something much more interesting than if you go, what needs to happen next? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure if I can... My game's slightly different. I, my, the game I try and play is to write a, uh, a scene cinematically that the director will take credit for coming up with at some point in the future. <laughs> and, just, and for it all to be on the page, you know, that's I mean, that's really what I kind of like I'm I'm aiming for. But it is a I, I try to write scenes that directors want to shoot, mm. and I, and it's amazing how few screenwriters that I run into even think about that. But it ha- you know it's kind of like this is supposed to look like cinema at the end of it, um, and so, and therefore you know I don't know I, the thing about screenwriting is that there is just so much to know and especially when you're writing low budget independent cinema that's for me i mean you know people would go oh well writing for hollywood is the pinnacle of of screenwriting i don't agree um i think um trying to write something that can be shot for a hundred thousand pounds um that still kind of like stands up and is a great film and has you know is cinematically interesting and and you know and people enjoy watching that's way more challenging i mean i mean the biopic thing that i've been working on recently has got like that's a proper budget kind of you know um grown-up kind of um movie and it's been amazingly fun to write but it's been a lot easier to write than some of the kind of micro budget things where i've had to go i can't have another cast member i can't I can't have that scene. I can't have another location. Mm. Um, and if I do, I'm going to have to be really clever about it and I'm going to have to use it multiple times. Um, that's a kind of a whole other kind of discipline in terms of kind of getting stuff to work at that level. It's a re- That's one of the reasons I like it so much. Um, it's very difficult to make money. Well, look, Clive, let's, let's remind people then. So the book, the book that's yeah. out now, what's that called? 
Uh, the process, uh, Butterfly Frame, although the full title is The Process of Screenwriting. But the easiest way to find it is just to put my name, Clive Frayne, F-R-A-Y-N-E, into the Amazon search thing, and then it just pops up. And it's available either for Kindle or as a paperback. And paperback, I really like because it's got a half decent cover on it, um, you know. <laughs> not it's, it's not one of the, it's not your standard like picture of a you know typewriter with a coffee cup next to it, which I hate as a. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so that and then there's the writer development kind of program, which again, if you go onto my website, you'll find out more about. And also on my website, there's kind of articles and more resources like the a template of the spreadsheet that I use and some bits and pieces like that useful stuff i try to be useful um, well look it's been really it's been really useful talking to you I'll oh put, yeah it's been great I'll, as well. I'll put the links in the show notes and uh, we'll put in the article when it goes on britflix website and it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving me your time on the britflix podcast uh Stuart, it's been an absolute pleasure i mean actually i would have carried on talking for much much longer i felt like um I just enjoy talking to other writers about screenwriting, always have done. So it's been an absolute delight. You know, thank you for having me. Alan Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.